stand. We're going to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness together. together but before we sing that song I'm gonna let the choir come down and we started our service with singing y'all don't go down um we started our sing service with singing count your blessings and um 
Stephanie did a beautiful job of singing a song that just kind of reminded us of everything that we're supposed to praise his name through. Um, and we just sang great as that faithfulness. So why don't you take just a second and somebody near you, go ahead and count your blessings and tell them the things, you know, just in the spirit of thanksgiving and before we kind of transition our hearts to communion, just the things we have most grateful to be thankful for this morning. So you have just a minute to do that. blessings in our life we need to take time to count to count God and 
Lord, one of those blessings is um, our church family and this fellowship of believers and a pastor who leads us and guides us through your word, God, um, as an entirety, God, not a verse here and a verse there, God. But, Lord, we've been blessed the last few months to go through the entire book of Isaiah, God. And, Lord, as we close that out this morning, God, Lord, how fitting it is that we're taking communion, Lord. Um, I just pray that this communion prepares our heart for the season of giving and um, gifts that's coming, God, knowing that we celebrate Christmas because of the gift you gave us in Christ, God. And Lord, may you just um, renew our spirits and revive us, and may we take our heart of gratitude and thankfulness into the season of Christmas, God, to keep us grounded in the foundation of what the holiday season is all about, God. Lord, I go ahead and lift up one night in Bethlehem to you, God, um, just as it's kind of a cold and damp day, God, Lord, we pray for clear weather that day, and we pray for every volunteer that needs to be a part of it um, to just have the perfect role, God, and we pray for Miss Crystal and her leadership in that, God. Lord, I thank you for our children's ministry, and I pray that you be with our workers in the nursery and our uh, children's teachers, God, and we just pray that you open our hearts and clear our minds now for this message as we close out the book of Isaiah, God. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Catherine. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 66 as our children leave for children's service, children's church. Thank you, volunteers, again for your role in that ministry. As Catherine has already uh, said, we are at the conclusion of our series in Isaiah. So turn to the last chapter. Today we have the last chapter in Isaiah. The title of this is the final chapter. Back in probably June, we were going literally verse by verse through the book of Galatians. And so I knew I was coming to the end of Galatians and needed to know uh, what direction I should go next. That's a very weighty and heavy issue when you're the preacher. So I had a conversation early summer, uh, right at the beginning of Sunday school, outside my office door with Alan and Peggy Banks. They were coming into Sunday school, and I don't think they're here this morning. But they were coming into Sunday school, and Miss Peggy says to me, Neil, Alan and I have been reading through the book of Isaiah. And she says, we're going verse by verse, we're going chapter by chapter, and we are struggling to understand some of this book. She said, when you have some time, would you maybe come by and talk to us or work through the book of Isaiah uh, with us? And uh, I have so much love and respect for Miss Peggy Banks and Mr. Allen Banks. They have walked with the Lord through some very difficult seasons in life. And I know now she walks and he walks together with the Lord. That's why they were in the book of Isaiah. Uh, so I turned around and went back into my office. And uh, I said to myself, it's probably where you need to go next uh, in your preaching. So I say that to let you know that the goal for the life of the believer is to personally get into the word of God. We are 
in the 66th chapter of Isaiah, but it's only the 20th sermon. If my math is correct and my dating is correct, we began this series on July the 16th. So actually, I've just given you the high points. I've just given you the mountain peaks. And what I'm going to try to do this morning with this last chapter is read all of it and give you some foundational truths from this book that you and I need to apply to our lives. Now, I think during Advent season, I will probably preach messages related to the birth of Christ. So, got any ideas after the first of the year? I'm, I'm willing and open, all right? Isaiah chapter 66. I don't always preach what people ask and talk about and suggest, but... Uh, for Mr. Allen and Miss Peggy, I, I felt like God was moving and God was working, and I'm grateful for the time that we have spent in this wonderful prophetic book. So Isaiah 66, 1, thus says the Lord, God will always have the last word. And in Isaiah 66, what we have is God's response to the, the, to the laments that were in some of the previous chapters leading up to this final chapter. He always will and always has and forever will speak the last and final word. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you could build for me? Where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things, speaking of all these things, the whole universe, you and I personally included, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But, but to this one... Now imagine the vast universe with all of its expanse and all the billions of people. But to this one individual, this one person, I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Verse 3 is a shift and it begins to speak of worship, hypocritical worship, compromised worship, worship that basically integrated pagan practices with the practices that God had ordained in his law. But he who kills an ox is like one who slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb is like the one who breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering is like one who offers swine's blood. He who burns incense is like the one who blesses an idol. As they have chosen their own ways. They chose their own ways. And their souls, their soul delights in their abominations. So I will choose their punishments. I will bring on them what they dread. Because I called, but no one answered. I spoke, but they did not listen. And they did evil in my sight, and chose that in which I did not delight. 
Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you, who exclude you for my name's sake, have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but they will be put to shame. These were mockers, mocking God's true, genuine, humble servants. They will be put to shame. A voice of uproar from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord, who is rendering recompense to his enemies. Another shift. Before she travailed or labored, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her sons. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Or shall I, who gives delivery, shut the womb, says your God? Be joyful with Jerusalem. Rejoice for her. All you who love her, be exceedingly glad with her, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied with her comforting breasts, that you may suck and be delighted with her bountiful bosom. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I extend peace to her like a river. I think we sang that a few weeks ago. I've got peace like a river. Here it is. Here's here's biblical validation for that song. God is promising peace like a river to Jerusalem and all who love her. Look at verse 12. And the glory of the nations like an ever-flowing or overflowing stream. You shall be nursed. You shall be carried on the hip and fondled on the knees. As one whom his mother Comfort, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Too bad it's not Mother's Day. Because what God is picturing there is His love for His people and the joy that we should receive from Him and the nourishment and the care and the comfort is like a mom's love for her newborn child. Then you shall see this. I'm back in verse 14. And your heart shall be glad, your bones shall flourish like the new grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be made known to his servants. But he shall be indignant toward his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger with fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on all flesh, and those slain by the Lord will be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go to the gardens, following one in the center who eats swine's flesh, detestable things, mice. That's gross. But the point is, these were unclean practices that the enemies of God were engaging in, thinking that they were worshiping the Lord, or not caring that they were worshiping the Lord, or worshiping the Lord incorrectly and in a rebellious, defiant, and obstinate way. God says about them, they shall come to an end altogether, declares the Lord, for I know their works and their thoughts, 
God knows our thoughts. I've said this before, if we could put all of our thoughts all week long up here on the screen for everyone in the congregation to see, all of us would have to leave town, (laughs) right? Hey, you know you. Where do these thoughts come from? And if God judges the thoughts and intents of the heart, if he knows those, who could stand, right? God says, I know their works, I know their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations. Look at this universal gathering by God at the end of time. They shall come and they shall see my glory. The final chapter of life in history is that God's glory is seen. And I will set a sign among them and I will send survivors from them to the nations. This is a missionary outreach to all parts of the world, illustrated by Tarshish, Put, Lud, Meshach, Rosh, Tubal, and Javan, to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among the nations. Then, They shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord on horses, in chariots, in litters, on mules, on camels, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. So all of this is culminating in worship. All of this is culminating in God being glorified. Verse 21, I will also take some of them for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. He will set apart and set aside some to be especially called to go and share the gospel as ministers and priests of the Lord. You and I are called as the priests to the believers to be a part of this this missionary work that God has going on even in the present, even in the now. Verse 21, for just as the new heavens and new earth. Remember we talked about that last week. Coming down from above. Coming down a new heaven. A new earth. God says, which I will make will endure before me, declares the Lord. So your offspring and your name will endure. And the implications there are that they will endure forever. For all eternity. It shall be from new moon to new moon. From Sabbath to Sabbath. That is a, a, a figure of speech to communicate this ongoing, eternal glorification. Not only of God, but also of His people. All mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. This is a whole story of the Bible. The final chapter of Isaiah is the final chapter of the whole story. Then they shall go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all mankind. As Jerry put so clearly from Matthew 25, there's two destinies, heaven and hell, eternal life, or eternal punishment. That's the warning that Isaiah closes with. Father, 
From this chapter, I'm reminded as I pray of what Paul says in Romans. Behold the kindness and the severity of our Lord. In this passage, I see your grace and your kindness. In this passage, I also see your severity. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, which allows people like me, people like us, who are transgressors, who have failed. We've not lived up to your glory. We fall short of it. Thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus, in whom we have forgiveness, transformation, and the promise of future glory. Help us, Lord, to understand and apply your word this morning in this final chapter. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, what I want to do with this chapter, because there are 24 verses, I pray that you will go back and read on your own the depth and the richness that's here. But I'm going to basically give us four essential pillars of truth that are found not just in this final chapter of Isaiah, but in the whole Bible that you and I can build our lives upon. This is a structure, it's a framework that will bear the weight of our guilt, bear the weight of our sin, bear the weight of God's glory, bear the weight of God's judgment, bear the weight of everything. And so what I'm picturing in my mind is a bridge, a bridge that needs fortifying, a bridge that needs strengthening, a bridge that needs pillars underneath it so that the weight of life and the weight of judgment, the weight of sin, death, hell, and the grave, all of that can be upheld by these four essential truths that you and I need under the bridge to bear the weight. My father was in the logging business, and these 80,000, 90,000 pound of, 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 of weight, of, of, of tonnage crossing these, these wooden bridges. Sometimes those wooden bridges needed to be fortified and strengthened or the, the bridge would collapse under the weight. So picture a structural engineer coming in to strengthen that bridge that is your life, to hold it up so that you will not collapse in life or in judgment. God is that. So let me give you the four pillars of truth, four statements, and then we'll summarize it at the end. Number one, here it is. God alone is sovereign king and majestic ruler over all the universe. God alone, this is the conclusion and culmination of Isaiah. What he's telling us is that it's God alone who is the sovereign king and the majestic ruler over the universe. That's verse 1 and 2a. Look at who he is. Heaven is his throne. This, is, this means that he is king, he is sovereign, he is ruler, he is in total control. 
This earth is his footstool. We couldn't build a house that could contain him. Where is a place that he might rest? His hand made all of these things and all by his hands and his word and his power, all these things came into being, declares the Lord. This is top priority. This is acknowledging the ultimate final truth that God is God and we are not. God is creator and he's also personal covenant God because that capital L-O-R-D in verse 1 and thus says the Lord is the personal covenant God of his people. Great is his faithfulness. This reminds us that we were made to worship. We were made to worship God. So we must begin by thinking correctly about who he is and who he has revealed himself to be. This is the essence of the first command. That we should have no other gods before him. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's immutable. He's transcendent. He's eternal without beginning Without end, this is the God with whom we have to do, says Hebrews 4.13. We are accountable, we are responsible, we are totally dependent. This truth will not budge. He speaks, heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. He cannot be contained, he cannot be limited to certain buildings, places, or locations. God knows and controls the whole future. He declares the end from the beginning. Therefore, God alone is worthy of our worship, worthy of our reverence, worthy of our love, worthy of our devotion, and worthy of our service. All healthy thinking, living, and teaching begins with this principle. If we do not begin here, our self-understanding, our relationships to God and other people, our priorities, our passions, etc., will become distorted and unhealthy. I wrote myself in here a better word, a clearer word. They will become sinful, out of line, transgressing. My voice is a little weak this morning. You might be able to tell. I think I spent too much time watching high school football in the cold Friday night. But I noticed that one particular team kept lining up in the wrong formation. <laughs> if you line up incorrectly, if you're in an illegal formation, you can't even get started. The ref throws this yellow towel up in the air and it comes down and he says, Back them up 15 yards. They can't get started with anything until what? They line up correctly. I think Isaiah is reminding you and me of what I've said a thousand times. This is that top button of life. And if you get that top button wrong, every other aspect of your life will be out of line. God, call me back to recognizing that you alone are God, that you alone are sovereign. That's the, that's the final chapter, and that's what the final chapter will show. 
and prove. I, I want to get through all four of these and, and then conclude. So I'm going to go ahead and move to number two. The, the second one, if you're still with me, what does it mean to line up right? What is the correct formation? What is the correct posture that human beings should have before God? Well, let me give you another biblical pillar of frameworks of this structure for life and eternity. Number two, God gives His gracious favor to the humble. God gives His gracious favor to the humble, but to the rebellious proud, they will receive His terrifying wrath. That's wordy. So there are several places in the Bible where God puts it like this. And you need to, my dad used to say this. He's not here either, so I'm going to quote him. He said, you, you can write it down. And if my dad ever said, write it down, <laughs> you didn't mess with write it down. Write it down. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. To this one I will look. What is his look? It's his smile. It's his favor. It's his grace. It's God showing us his face and his love and his pleasure. You know the look. And you also know the look. <laughs> you can tell a lot by people's facial expressions as to whether or not they are giving you good vibes or negative vibes. In this vast global universe that we live in, where there's war and chaos and depravity and death and fallenness, remember this, to this one he will look. The one who is humble. This means that in your heart of hearts you know how needy you are. You know how dependent you are. You know how sinful you are. Go back to Isaiah 6. Woe is me. I'm an unclean man. I have unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Contrite of spirit. That was an interesting word in my study. Contrition comes from a root word that means to smite or to cripple or to break. Someone who has been hurt, broken, afflicted within... And then someone who is not just humble and contrite and broken within, but trembles at his word. And I could pause right there and preach a whole sermon on what is your attitude toward the word of God. Do you tremble at it? Do you have reverence for it? Uh, is, it, is it top priority for you? Or do you neglect it? You're dismissive. Yeah, I hear what you say in Sunday after Sunday, but I'll go my own way. To this one I will look humble, contrite, trembling. We have several biblical examples of what it looks like to have humility and contrition and to tremble at his word. I think of the prayer of the publican in Luke 18 where he cries, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. The penitent thief on the cross, Lord, when you come in your kingdom, remember me. That's the individual that God, when he runs his search engine, his Google, he zeroes in on a certain type of person with a character and an attitude and a posture. 
humility, contrition. But let's get to the other half of this. The rebellious proud will receive his judgment and wrath. It's the opposite extreme. Here is the danger of proud rebellion. This interesting and complicated worship description in verse 3, this was false worship. It was detestable worship. I'm going to cut through all that because some of it was culturally related and relevant and difficult for us to... But this we can understand. The problem and the issue with pride and rebellion against God is at the end of verse 3. And you could sum it up with they, they've chosen what? Their own way. They've gone their own way. They've said, okay, God, you're moving and speaking, but I know better. It's my life. It's, it's, I love Billy Joel. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life and you leave me alone. That's some people's attitude toward God. Not only have they chosen their own ways, but God also diagnoses them with their soul delights and abominations. Look at this. God calls and no one answers. Does it ever irritate you when people don't respond to your texts and calls? Man, I keep calling them. I keep calling. They don't even answer. You feel disrespected. You feel slighted. You feel dismissed. They treat me like belly button lint, right? God says, I spoke and nobody listened. You did evil in my sight. That tells us that what the universe is created for is for God to call and, and, and us respond. God to speak and, and for us to listen, for us to recognize who he is and respond with reverence and service and love and, and, and humble ourselves and, and, and break ourselves and, and tremble at his word. And, and I can't work out the details, but I read them as I read it through. The proud rebel is headed for doom. God will give his gracious favor to the humble. There's an infinite eternal difference here. But the rebellious proud will receive his terrifying wrath. What a promise though. Ah, to this one I will look. On this one I will rest. This says to you and me that I can't build a house for God. I can't build a place for God to rest. But I can build my house upon God. And God himself can come and rest in my life and soul. Well, that's the full gospel. That we can build our lives on God. And that God will make our soul his resting place. His home. Your heart. Your life. God's home. That's good news. Number three, we've got the Lord's Supper coming. 
Number three, I'm going to summarize these last two points, okay? I'm just going to give them to you in their basic form. God has promised comfort, peace, and joy to his humble, righteous servants. God has promised comfort, peace, and joy to his humble, righteous servants. But what's the deal with all this child labor imagery? What's the deal with all this motherhood imagery? Here's the point. Before a child comes, and when a child comes, there's joy, there's gladness, but the process is difficult. I am not a woman. But my wife is. She's not here either. Where's everybody I'm talking about? Everybody's missing today. I'd be talking about you if you weren't here. But let me just say, Jesus uses this analogy. In John, I think it's 16, to encourage his disciples, he uses this exact same analogy. He says, you disciples, you're suffering, you're grieving, you're hurting. And it's a lot like a woman who's going through childbirth. There's labor, there's suffering, there's pain for months. But then once the child comes, there's joy and there's gladness. And all the suffering and all the difficulty was worth it because now she rejoices over the fact that the child is born. Jesus says, you too will go through the cross. You will suffer. You will feel as if you've lost everything but you will rejoice in the resurrection. And no one will take that joy away from you. God is picturing in Isaiah 66, and I'm in verses 7 through 14 here, to sum that up, God is bringing something new and glorious to life, but the process by which we get there will be death and dying and suffering and sacrifice, and God has given us Childbirth and motherhood has a natural, well-known illustration of how he works and how he moves. God has promised comfort, peace, and joy to his humble, righteous servants. He says you need to rejoice now. You need to be glad now in what God is going to do as he gives birth to a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Go ahead and draw from the future deposits from your inheritance that will give you joy on Monday morning when you hit the ground and Thanksgiving week is over. The last point, number four. This is just summing up. Hey, Jerry already preached this. Jesus preached it. God will certainly defeat and destroy his enemies. God will certainly defeat and destroy his enemies and the enemies of his servants with an everlasting judgment. An everlasting judgment. There's a clear division. There is no neutral ground. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You're either lost or you're found. You're either wheat or you're tares. You're either building your house on the rock or you're building your house on the sand. Your structure is, is God and His Word and these truths. Your structure is Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. Or it's yourself. 
This is Isaiah's warning. This is final chapter. I'll close by saying that these essential truths that I just shared with you from Isaiah, they've already been tested. They've already been tested. They've already been proven. Jesus has already proven that every single one of these are strong enough to withstand everything that hell and Satan and death and sin and judgment can put on it. Because He took our sin. He became sin. He took our judgment. He took our place. And God has already demonstrated in the gospel that you and I can rest and rely fully upon His word, His truth, His work. That's the final chapter. And let me say this, that uh, this is as far as we can go in Isaiah. And many times when someone dies, there's a graveside service and the pastor will say something like this. He said, this is a, these are the last words over this individual. This is as far as far as we can go with them here. Okay? And here are the last words spoken over this person's life. Those are significant words. Those are heavy words. Those are last words. These are Isaiah's last words. This is his last chapter. But when your last chapter comes, when your last words are spoken, what will those words be? It's not too late to finish well. It's not too late to finish well. There is hope in the gospel. And no matter where you've been, no matter where you are, if you're way over here like me in the wrong lane, and your wife's saying, why are you so far over there? <laughs> oh, I'd say, I need to get over. <laughs> and it's dangerous. Why not do that? But then there's, there's still time to get off and to be under His favor and under His grace. And you can hear the last words, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Because the humble one, the contrite one, the one who trembled at the Father's words in a perfect righteous way was Jesus himself. And God's favor rests on us as it did on him. This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Those are the final words for the Christian. Father, thank you this morning for this final chapter, but really what the whole book of Isaiah gave us was such hope in a suffering servant who would become sin on our behalf. He would bear the fire. He would bear the weight. He would go through everything that hell is. Even momentary separation from God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You did that out of love. You did that out of grace. But he was not utterly forsaken for you vindicated Jesus you raised Jesus to glory and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father we pray that that would be now we pray that that would be today 
Today is the day of salvation. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let's tie it all together with remembering the kindness and severity of God as demonstrated through the sacrifice and offering of Jesus and the bread and the cup that he invites us to his table. So if our deacons would come forward at this point, we will serve communion. So deacons, active, inactive, we need you to come and serve if you are able.
Paul writes to the Corinthians about what he received from the Lord, which he also delivered to them, the Corinthians, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they did eat. Amen. Thanks be to God for the blessing of the body of Christ, which was broken for us. In the same way he took the cup.
as we sing. Amen. What a joy to be in worship this morning. Uh, I hope and pray you've had not only a great week of Thanksgiving, but also continue your Thanksgiving in the week to come. I'm thankful for Mr. Pepper Jackson and his wife, Mindy. If y'all come up here, I want to formally present them to you. I've been in discussions with uh, his actual name is Emmett, Emmett Jackson. He's lifelong Centrahatchee. Uh, resident and his wife Mindy. Several months ago, uh, I did their wedding. They're married now, and we're grateful that God has brought Mindy back into our community, back into Mr. Pepper's life. But they've also been in conversation with me about formally joining our church. They're both baptized believers who've been servants and followers of Christ for some time. Uh, what is the pleasure of Glenlock Baptist Church? We'll be taking them by statement. Okay. Uh, second, all in favor, let me know by saying amen. 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 In light of that passage that Jerry read in Matthew 25, these two have fed a lot of people in our community, especially on Thanksgiving. One of the visions that God gave to Pepper as far as a ministry goes a while back was to feed those in need at Thanksgiving, and that's something that uh, has happened with the help of other volunteers for quite some time, among other things. So we're blessed 
Pepper, to have you and Miss Mindy in our lives, and uh, what a joy. So I'm going to ask Jeff, will you stand with them after our service so they don't have to stand here all alone? And after we close, let them know how glad we are that they have uh, chosen to formally unite with us in, in church membership. Hey, uh, Joe and Rebecca Banks had their baby boy this week, Silas. He's healthy. He's doing great. So what a joy. That's the first of three babies that are due within the next few weeks. So continue to pray for Catherine and Russ and then Brooke and Bryson. So uh, one down and two more to go. And maybe more in the future. Who knows? So Catherine, uh, we'll keep praying for you. Thank you for what you do. And if you'll close us in prayer, I can't remember anything else that I needed to announce or say. And I'm so glad you said that his name was Emmett and Pepper because we may have had that friendly family debate this this at Thanksgiving Day of whether they were the same people or not. So I'm glad I was right. <laughs> Miss Crystal wants to share real quick before we dismiss. Let's sing Give Thanks together this morning. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ, his son. Give thanks. Y'all have a good week.